Hey there, unsurprisingly, I got more to say on that subject I was riffing on earlier on my walk. It's now after midnight, a couple minutes after midnight, six to be exact. A couple refers to six. So it's a, way, it's a good thing I'm not a parent, meaning a space parent. It's a good thing I'm not a dad, because if my kid asks me, like, what is a couple referred to? When someone says a couple, like, is that uh, two or three? I would say six. A couple refers to six. And that's why people say that two people who are romantically involved are a couple. It's not because it refers to two. It means that they're part of a, a group of six degenerates. It means they're polyamorous. It means they're polyamorous. Because there's six of them. And they only go out in twos. That's why you only see two, but couple refers to six. Remember, kid, let's say you damage a kid forever. Having too much fun with your kid, you don't realize what stays with them. I mean, things like that. As I said in the last episode, I spend such little time with children that I don't realize how much they hold on to. And I mean, I guess I should because I think about some of the things I remember. I think about some of the things that some random adult told me, like some guy who was like a friend of my neighbor's husband, you know, and I went to a get together and met this person once and they told me something that I never forgot. And not even anything important, just some nonsense, like they were drunk and joking around, you know, anything an adult tells you can potentially stay in your mind forever, which I guess is how people get traumatized. When someone says or does something mean. But in my case, it's like I just remember you know, just bizarre things that people say to me. And I, I was reminded of that because I, I had a job where this, this woman would bring in her, her kid. And he, he would ask a lot of questions. Like He would go around the office asking questions. And I liked him. He was a good kid. But he was just very inquisitive. And, and he was also very smart. And he asked about this crawl space that was up in the ceiling. It was just like a hatch. You know, it was just a crawl space. It was a, a single story building. And there was just kind of this hatch in the ceiling, like a, like a reverse trap door. And he was like, what is that? And I was like, oh, yeah, there's a guy who lives up there. Like the dumbest stuff. You know, like when adults just tell kids really dumb things, just because it's like, oh, it's a kid. I better tell him something dumb. And so I was like, oh, yeah, there's a guy who lives up there. He goes up there at night and he sleeps up there. Yeah, there's a guy, he lives up there. And the kid, he kept like looking up at it. Like he kept asking me questions about it. And I just like, kind of like, it wasn't even like I was invested in the conversation. I was like at my desk on my computer typing or something. And just like, he would ask me a question. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, kid. Like uh, he's up there right now. And, you know, whatever he was asking, I, I had no investment in it. And then, it, you know, his mom, like, came in the next day and was like, oh, you know, he, the kid brought that up at dinner with his dad last night. Like we were at the dinner table and he brought up the guy that you, you told him that a guy lives up in the crawl space at the office. And he brought that up at the dinner table and wanted to talk about it. And his dad said, wait, what? There's a guy who lives up in the crawl space. And then the mom had to explain that like, oh no, Eric told him some total nonsense. And then she told me that he would still bring it up for a while. You know, that kid could still remember. That kid's like a teenager now. 
and he could still remember it. He could still remember, like, he might not believe it, but he might very well remember it. Because I remember all kinds of nonsense like that. So you got to be careful what you say to kids. You you do got to be careful. But uh, anyway, back to, I was going to talk about some of the stuff I was talking about earlier. I don't know how we got on the kid thing. We, as if there's some other person who derails me. Derail. It's a, a good first name, Derail. It's like Daryl, but it's Derail. But uh, yeah, you, you never know what's going to stick in a kid's head was my point. And so it's a good thing. Oh, yeah, it's a good thing I don't have a kid because I would tell them that like a couple means six. And if they then, God forbid, they ask me what a few refers to or what several. Daddy, daddy, what does uh, several mean? What's, how, what's the number that several refers to? I actually don't even know the answer to that. I don't even know what several refers to. I think of it being three to four. I think of several as three to four. I think of several as more of a range. A few, I think we all know that a few means three, but nobody will fault you if you use a few to refer to four. But if you get into five, a few, you're making a mistake if you, if you say that it's a few of something and it's five. I think the range of several is mainly three and four, but it can include five. But if I were to tell my kid, God forbid, I'd be like, several refers to hundreds. Nobody knows exactly what several refers to, child, kid. But it's somewhere in the hundreds. Anyway, so, you know, earlier I was talking about technology and the way that inexplicable phenomena can inhabit technology. How you yourself, because, I mean, you're, I mean... You want to talk about inexplicit phenomena, humans, human beings. We are a phenomenon, a natural phenomenon, but we are a phenomenon nonetheless. And, you know, whether you believe in ghosts, you know, I use ghosts just as an example of to make it easy to understand. You know, because it's, it's easier to refer to ghosts than it is invisible energy that may or may not have the remnants of people who are no longer here. Or something larger than even that. You know, so ghosts are, make it easy when we're talking about something other inhabiting devices. But we ourselves as living beings, because we have spirits too. In case you didn't realize, you have a spirit of some kind too. Whatever you want to call it, there's something. There's something that can't be found, uh, uh, you know, through uh, through medicine, through science. There's something about you that can't yet be found. Whatever that is, I don't know. I'm not going to assume we'll ever find it. We haven't yet, but yet we have because plenty of people talk about it. Plenty of people feel it. Plenty of people experience it. Plenty of people become more connected to it. So why try to look for it in any other way than the ways that people always have? But with that in mind, you know, with the idea of spirits inhabiting technology, it's interesting to me that that's basically what we're trying to do with AI. And as I've talked about on the show before, 
this whole idea of creating your deceased loved one through AI, which people have done and are doing. I haven't kept up on it. I don't have some sort of notification system where every time an article comes out, it notifies me, oh, here's here's what they're doing. Here, here are the latest developments in artificial intelligence designed to look like and sound like your deceased loved one. I don't keep tabs on it. That's the kind of thing I figure if it finds me, it finds me. I am interested in it. I do have certain judgments about it, but I've also kind of second guessed my feelings about that a little bit. Because my initial feeling as somebody who is conservative toward technology, as someone who doesn't reject technology, but is a little slow and reluctant to accept it, new technology, that's one that I have a difficult time with. And while I didn't judge the parents for doing something that they felt the need to do, people who are traumatized, I try not to criticize people who are traumatized, not just in their, in other things they do, but specifically when it comes to how they handle their loved one that they lost tragically. I don't, I try not to criticize people. So it's like, I'm not critical of those parents who recreated their son via AI so that he could give an anti-gun message for a TV commercial. Like I don't criticize the parents for that, but I still don't like the idea of it on a gut level. It's, it's like, what's next? Like using your deceased loved one for an advertisement. I mean, that is a political advertisement, but using it for some sort of commercial advertisement, I don't, you know, um, my, uh, my loved one was very beautiful. So I'm going to get her a job as a, an AI model. You know, where does it end? I guess is the question with that. I don't judge those parents. I don't judge somebody like there was that story in the news some time back last year, I believe it was about a certain celebrity, they recreated her dead father via AI. And as a birthday present, her wealthy celebrity husband had this done and it has her father, this, this image of her father, video of her, her fake father singing to her a song that he used to sing. I think it was something like that. And there's something very sweet about that. And that actually made me question my initial, uh, I wouldn't even say reluctance. I would say when I first heard people were doing this, I completely opposed it. I wouldn't just say this is an example of me being slow to accept something. I would say when I first heard about this, my first thought was don't do that. That may have even been what I said the first time I talked about it on this show. I might have said just don't do that. How about if we don't do that? How about if we don't recreate dead loved ones? Because that doesn't seem like a very healthy way of accepting death to try to recreate them. And that's just on a level of life and death and the spirit, you know, that's just on that level. But then you add in using them for specific purposes. And we already saw that with the musicians who were turned into holograms and modified, you know, like they made Tupac, who was already a very muscular guy. Not like he was a bodybuilder, but Tupac was a muscular guy, but they made his AI performer even more ripped. Like, did they find some journal of two packs where he said, you know, the one thing that I wish I did is get a little bit more buff. One thing I want more than anything is to be a little more buff. Unless they have Tupac's diary, 
which is the name of my autobiography, Tupac's Diary. But no, unless they found Tupac's diary and he was talking about, you know, I, I just, I, I always, this is how Tupac sounds. I always uh, just wish that I was a little more buff on stage. Like, unless they found something where he said that, I just can't imagine, like, making Tupac more ripped. But they did it. And so there's things like that. Like, first of all, like, using that person as a fake performer and then modifying them. I mean, there's all kinds of issues with this. And I don't know that I'm coming from the right place when I opposed it. I don't know that that is the right response. This might just be an example of me being the guy 200 years ago who said they're, they're publishing too many books. They, should, they actually shouldn't even be books. Books are ruining oral storytelling. You know, I might be that guy right now by being a little bit opposed to these AI recreations of deceased people. Unless they give their consent. You know, if somebody signed a, you know, some sort of contract that said, like, you can use my likeness to make me say and do things. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. Make me buff. Make me sing to you. <laughs> you know, unless somebody gave their consent before they died, I just, I don't know that it's a great idea to recreate people. But I might be the person who's, you know, blowing hot air Saying like, hey, you know, uh, we shouldn't do this, Bob. You know, I, I might be the person who would have. I, I very well might be the person who said, "Hey, so they there's these new things called books, huh? What is is random pieces of parchment paper not good enough? Why do we need to bind them? You know, I very well might be the modern version of that person with my views toward AI and all that. But I have questioned my views. You know, I actually, the last time I talked about this, I believe I questioned my attitude about this because it's not that different from a photograph of somebody. Like the point that I'm trying to make about AI might be the same point somebody would have made 100 years ago when they said, yeah, do you really need a photograph of your deceased loved one on the wall? It's not them. Why do you need their likeness on the wall? At least in that case, it's a photograph of the real person. And most people don't really have any illusions about photographs. Like, hey, hey, Batman, come on. Come on, hey. I'm going to pause this. All right, we're back here. And there might be more barking. There might not. I'm not sure what he was barking at. A ghost. A ghost. An AI ghost. I heard a little bark there. Might be more. There might be more barking tonight. That's what dogs do on Memorial Night. It's what dogs do on Memorial Day Eve, because it is Memorial Day Eve. And that's the only time that we're going to talk about it. It's the only time it's going to come up here. Um, but uh, anyway, you know, I don't think most people have illusions. Like somebody might talk to a picture of their deceased loved one. They might. And it's not that crazy to say something to it. But people generally don't have illusions about photographs. And I'm making an assumption that people have illusions when they recreate their deceased loved one and make them talk. But even if the person themselves doesn't have any illusions about that, even if they know it's just a recreation, I mean, they do know. But it's like even if they just accept that and they're basically, it's just some way of feeling like they're in contact with them. It's some sort of pseudo-seance 
That's kind of what that is. It's kind of a pseudo seance. But even then, it's it, you know, they might not have any illusions about it, but the AI itself is an illusion, is how I would put it. The person who's doing it, the person who's who believes they are watching or talking to or interacting with their dead loved one, they might very well be completely grounded. And it's not my job to care. It's not my job to care if the person is who thinks they're interacting with their loved one or doesn't or how grounded they are. I mean, it's really none of my business. But, you know, it is an illusion. The AI itself is, it's a deliberate illusion. But, you know, I call it a pseudo seance, but who is to say that it's not a seance of some kind? And if I'm going to go down in history as, you know, saying everything is natural, and that spirits can inhabit technology, who is to say that a spirit or something, it doesn't have to be the spirit of the exact dead loved one, but who is to say that some sort of inexplicable phenomenon couldn't happen via AI? I went off yesterday, I went off earlier today on the mobile episode about that very subject about how inexplicable phenomenon, while we might not always love the aesthetics of them, for example, we like the idea of an old-fashioned, run-down Victorian haunted house more than we like the idea of a haunted condo, even though in theory, they're both, you know, a ghost can inhabit both. Synchronicity can happen online through your phone person to person, sitting at a bar, you know, it can happen in all kinds of different ways through all kinds of different mediums, through all kinds of different technology and non-technology, because that's how I categorize the world. There's non-technology and technology. Not a horrible way. If you've got you to put, you put things in two categories, you've got to put all things on this planet in two categories, non-technology and technology. Not such a bad idea. But, uh, you know, if, if inexplicable phenomena can happen through, in all of these different ways, through all of these different devices, through just life itself, who is to say that it can't happen through some sort of AI simulator? Who is to say it can't happen when someone tries to interact with the AI of their dead loved one? I'm not really chomping at the bit to try that out. That's not my approach to death. That's not how I want to deal with death, personally. But maybe I shouldn't question that process. Maybe I shouldn't question that. You know, and of course there are all kinds of issues. Because, I mean, you're basically deep-faking a dead person. And people have a lot of opposition to deep-faking. Deep-faking. You doing any deep-faking this weekend? Oh, man, me and... Me and uh, me and Maggie are going out this weekend. I think I'm going to take her to the beach and then we're going to get a little motel room and do a little deep faking. Going to do a little deep faking together, huh? <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, there's all kinds of opposition to deep faking and this is basically the same thing. I mean, those Parkland parents, those parents of the Parkland victim, I think that's where he, I think that was the shooting that where their son died. You know, they are having their son deep faked. 
It's just whether there is a, such a thing as a good deep faking or a neutral deep faking. There probably is. Just like you can use any tool or device for good, bad, or somewhere in the middle for neutral. Just like you can use a hammer to do horrible things, to do good things, to do things that are pretty meaningless. You know, you can use any tool in any kind of different way. So maybe there is such a thing as good deep faking. Just like there's obviously bad deep faking. But the idea is that should we even open the lid at all? Should we take the lid off that idea at all? Because we seem to have a hard time with that as a species. If I could define, I don't want to define humans by this, but if there's one trait that is unique to humans, it's that we have a very difficult time leaving the lid on an idea once we have it. And that could go, that could happen in any number of places. You know, it's not just science fiction. It's not just sci-fi horror scenarios that we can, can and do create in waking life. Sometimes just, sometimes you shouldn't even make a joke because someone will act on it. I mean, I think about uh, at, at an office party, I made some stupid joke about like making a local dating website, like for only this town. And next thing I knew, the boss of the company, the next Monday, the boss of the company, like had a meeting and he's like, you know, I think I really think we should pursue this idea as a side business. And whoever wants to be involved can be involved. Whoever doesn't want to be involved doesn't have to be, but it'll be run as a side business through this business. And we're going to have a local dating website that's specific to this town. And I was sitting there and it, and it was just completely surreal. And I, I spoke up immediately and I said, I was joking. I was joking. I was drunk at a, at a party with you guys making a dumb joke. And it, it never actually, the, the boss, he ended up buying some uh, URLs. He ended up buying some website domains, but it never moved beyond that, thankfully. But it was a lesson for me because I was like, oh, you have to be careful what you even joke about. You have to be careful like what you suggest as an idea, even if it's a joke or just offhand. You never really know. I mean, it's the same thing I'm talking about with kids. It's the same exact thing I'm talking about with kids where you never know what's going to stick in that kid's mind. Like you jokingly telling your kid that a couple means six that could screw your kid up. That could put your kid on like the wrong brand. Like, like that, that could be like a fork in the road for your kid where they go down the wrong way because you told them that a few refers to hundreds of things. Oh, a few? No, all those people who say it means three things. I don't know where they got that. They're wrong. It means a thousand. A few means a thousand. Like if you tell your kid that, even as a joke, like you never know if that could stunt them, that could hold them back in some way. That could like twist some, that could like cross some wires in their brain. Or it could just be something they, they don't forget. Like, uh, you know, the kid in the office who was, I, I apparently convinced him a man lived in this crawl space. And I was like, oh crap, I got to be careful what I tell that kid. Not because he's gullible, just because he's a kid. Who happened, you know, kids are gullible. 
but it was just you know it's the same but i realized the same thing in adulthood with adults with even your boss where it's like you got to be careful what you joke about you got to be careful what kind of offhand comment you make not because people will take it the wrong way but because they'll just take it at all sometimes somebody just taking something you say at all i mean i think i I don't remember if I released the episode, but I know I, I mentioned it on an episode. It may have been one of these ones that I just didn't end up releasing. But it, it was about the idea of, uh, you know, like, like the sort of dilemma in life of like, on one hand, one of our basic human nightmares is to say something and not have anyone listen. You know, one of our greatest fears is to not be heard. And one of the worst feelings is to be standing in a group of people and you say something and nobody listens or hears it. That's one of the worst feelings, you know, beyond being like stabbed in the groin, you know, I mean, beyond like obviously bad things. It's one of those subtle things that happens, especially growing up, where you're trying to say something and you just can't get your voice heard in a circle or group of people. But the other side of that is also a nightmare where you make a quiet offhand comment that's not meant to be even thought about and someone hears it everyone hears it it becomes something that people take seriously it becomes something that people remember so it's just that sort of thing where there's two sides of that nightmare like on one hand like we fear not being listened to but then we also fear being listened to too much because then every little stupid thing you say has an impact or, or people respond to it. And it's like, oh, sometimes I don't want people to respond to the stupid things I say. So this is all kind of swimming in the same space where it's like, be careful what you say to kids, be careful what you say to anyone. Um, and, you know, that it's kind of, you know, I don't know. It's you, you just you never know what it is that people are going to grab hold of. But uh, anyway, to get back to the, the AI thing, yeah, I have questioned my attitude on that. Whether or not, basically, like I've gone from being like, I'm outright opposed to that, to being like, you know what? If I actually believe the things that I say on here about nature and everything we do being somehow a manifestation of nature, good and bad, because we know nature is bad. Cause that's like another thing about human beings is a certain sort of person thinks nature equals good. And I would say nature equals right. I would say nature is right because it just is. And if something just is, there is something inherently right about it, but not necessarily positive or good because we know there's rape among animals. We know there's invasive plants there are plants that if you bring them into your part of the country, they'll take over everything and kill all the other plants. Like we act like plants are the most amazing, beautiful thing in the world, which they are. But people don't like to talk about how plants, invasive plants come and just kill everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, like we don't we don't see them because they're not humanoid. It's not like being infested by warthogs or whatever goes on in like Northern California, wherever that is, wherever those warthog infestations are. It's not quite that obvious. But I mean, there are, there are plants that will literally strangle other plants. There are plants that will just take over. 
And that doesn't make them bad, but that's natural. You know, nature includes certainly all of the bad things that exist in humanity as well. They might not be as com complex. They might not be, they might not get in emo as emotional of a reaction out of the wildlife as they get from us. I don't know. I don't know that I don't know whether or not it does. I don't know whether or not there is emotion in nature. We know that mammals have emotions. There's all these people who talk about how plants like respond to music and if you play if you play plants music with good vibes, they grow bigger and stronger and happier. And if you play plants slayer, they die. You know, there's, there's people who have done little studies like that where plants respond to being whispered to. If that's the case, if plants grow bigger and stronger when they are given positive affirmations in their ear, and I guess their leaves are, are all ears. Plants have a lot of ears because all the leaves are an ear. So when you whisper those kind thoughts to your plant and it grows bigger because of that, allegedly... I don't know if this is absolutely true. It's just something you hear. That to me sounds like plants have emotions. We know our pets do. We know animals do. We know animals grieve. It just seems like it's not as complicated. I think that's the biggest difference. But animals certainly rape. I mean, some animals, it's all they do. Some animals, all they do ever do is rape. Does that mean that nature is bad? No, it just means there are horrible things that go on in nature. But we as humans, there's a certain sort of person who says natural equals good. Natural equals good. And it's not the truth. You know, it's nature encompasses all of it. Nature encompasses all that is available in this world is kind of how I feel. And it includes all that is available in this world. And because that's my view... And I view even modern human technology as the latest outgrowth of nature. I kind of feel like I have to accept this AI stuff, not participate in it. I don't ever see myself participating in that. Like if next week I tell you, oh, I just spent all of my money to have them recreate my mom via AI. Just throw me out the window. Throw me out the window because uh, something's not right with me. But if someone else wants to do that, can I say that I'm opposed to it? And can I say that I don't believe something can happen? Even if it just makes the person feel better, because I don't want to leave that out of it either. I don't want to get too grandiose. I don't want to get too out there. Because if simply somebody seeing their parent or their sister or their kid in an AI simulation, if that simply makes them feel better, if that makes them, if that helps with their grieving process, if that helps tie a loose end, if just for that moment they feel connected, well, that's real. So who cares what my philosophical argument is? Who cares what my, oh, but what if they do it in this way? What if they use it for commercial purposes? What if they, what if it's a bad deep fake? What if it's a scary, bad deep fake and not one of the good deep fakes? You know, all of that really doesn't matter if there's one person in this world who sees 
a representation of their dead loved one and feels it and connects to it and experiences something. Would I want that to not happen because I have some take? No. So what do I really know about it? Nothing. But I'll still probably go back and forth because I feel like it's a weird, it's a weird one. It is a particularly weird one. I guess because I see a lot of value in the finality of death. And by finality, I don't mean that I believe it just ends. I don't mean that in this atheistic, it just goes black and that's it, baby. I don't even mean it in that sense, but there's obviously an ending of something. By finality, I don't mean that there's nothing more to it. I just mean that it's something ends there. Whether something else goes past that point, that is definitely a barrier that someone crosses. And, you know, in my personal view, the beauty is really in the finality of death. What makes life and death beautiful is that finality. It is that contrast. And I'm not into this idea of, like, I don't want to live on as AI. I don't, you know, I have a hard enough time with people misunderstanding me in this lifetime. I don't need people literally putting words in my mouth after I'm dead. I don't need people deep faking me, making me say things that I didn't say and I might not want to say. That's my personal view. But I really don't have any business interfering in the process of other people. And uh, it's funny, though, too, because it gets into the bot thing. Because, you know, it just the fact that, you know, I've kept this landline. You know, I've kept my mom's old landline just because different accounts are connected to it. Just as kind of a precaution in case it's the only way some someone or something knows how to contact me and most of the calls are, are robocalls and that's a certain insanity that's a certain human insanity that most of the calls you're likely to receive are just robots or they're you know scammers and what's really eerie about it is they all leave the same message and it's about one to two seconds of hissing silence. Almost like if you jack up a microphone, but there's no other sound. So you just hear the hiss of the microphone, but you can tell it's capturing a room or you can tell it's capturing something. Just hissing silence. Who knows what? It, who knows where it comes from? Who knows what it is? It's the hissing silence. But there's this hissing silence and it's about one to two seconds and they all do it down the line. They all leave a one to two second message of hissing silence. And that's insane. And on a certain level, that's a ghost. You know, on some level, spam emails are ghosts. On some level, robo telemarketers are ghosts. And I probably mentioned this before, as I often mention everything, but during the coronavirus lockdown, they suddenly stopped. I was getting them all the time. And then 
right around the time they announced Locker Down, suddenly there were no robocalls for months, a substantial amount of time, none. And that was really eerie to me because it's like they knew that if people are stuck at home getting robocalls all day, they might actually lose their mind. But it made me feel like there was some grand master. It made me feel like there was somebody in charge of all this who sent out a memo that said, no robocalls during locker downer. We're going to stop all the robocalls. It made me feel like somebody is in control of all of them. Even though that's likely not true, it made me feel like it was a little too, uh, it was conspicuous that they suddenly stopped. And maybe other people had different experiences, I don't know. But it's as if somebody sent out a memo that said, stop with the scam robocalls because people are stuck at home and it's going to make, it's, we're going to play our, our hand too far. I don't play cards. I don't, I don't know if that's the right terminology, but we're going to show our cards. I think that might be right. We're going to show our cards if we continue the robocalls when everyone's lockered downered. I think that was the official wording of the memo that went out. But it's similar on, you know, anytime you do anything publicly, I mean, like I still have this SoundCloud, uh, this SoundCloud account to upload these. Speaking of things becoming an institution, you know, you start uploading something on a certain service and you reach a point where you just say, this is what I use. And it's not ideal. Like I would prefer to not be using this. I don't even know what to call it. I mean, it's SoundCloud is a obviously a service intended for music I don't even like. And at the time, it was the only way that I could think of to upload stuff that everybody could hear pretty easily. But, uh, you know, hundreds of episodes later, I'm like, hey, you know, I really wish I used a different service that wasn't associated with rap music I've never heard. And I bring it up, though, just because every time that I upload a file there are robo responses not all the time but every once in a while there's a response and it's like i really love the sound of your track message me and i'll like i'll let more people hear it but all the language is tailored around music so it's like you know i mean it's beyond the fact that it's obviously a robot or beyond the fact that it's obviously some sort of ai it's just funny that they always refer to it as music because the truth is this is music if you haven't figured it out, this is vocal improv. So the, it, it turns out the SoundCloud robot responders, kind of like first responders, but it's, it's, it's the, the SoundCloud robot responders, it turns out they're the only ones who actually get me. They're the only ones who understand that this show is a musical performance hour. This show is music, and only the SoundCloud robots knew it. So screw all you who thought this was some sort of other thing no but their responses are you know they, they make you a little bit insane and i get very few of them you know just every once in a while like one of them will comment and uh there's something about it that does just slightly lower your quality of life like when you get a comment that is from somebody or a, or a spam email excuse me a spam email or a a robo comment there is something about it that when you see it even when you expect it. 
Because there are some people who probably are like, oh, I'm expecting a comment from a friend or a fan or somebody who cares, a real person. I'm expecting a comment. No, you would be really cool. Here's the new market. Maybe this is my big million dollar idea. Maybe I shouldn't share this because I should just start working on it somehow, some way. But the, the new trend will be to make AI of your dead loved ones respond to your SoundCloud posts. Your robo, the robo comments who respond every time I upload a SoundCloud file will be my deceased mom. There will be AI Facebook accounts of your deceased loved ones liking your posts. Maybe this is the new market. Unfortunately, there's no ethical way I would ever want to participate in something like this. But maybe that's the new market. Is turning all of your spam email into the voice of your deceased loved one so that at least it feels nice. And you wouldn't put that past anybody. You know, if this became the norm, that's probably what you would end up getting. Like, there's another thing that, you know, speaking of uh, just spam, this is even part of the, uh, you know, the old mail that you get, you know, paper mail, paper mail. You know, every once in a while I'll get some sort of spam paper mail, and it's this sort of uncanny valley effect, but in writing, where the writing looks handwritten. It's usually in blue, like a blue pen. And it's made to look kind of like, if not cursive, just some sort of handwriting. It's a pretty good font, but if you look at it more than twice, like at first glance, it, do, it does look like handwriting. But if you give it a second glance, you realize it's not. You realize it's a font. But they've done a pretty good job. It's not one of the standard like Windows handwriting fonts that's immediately recognizable as a font. It's one of those ones that is pretty convincing. They, they uh, downloaded a pretty nice font pack. No, but by the second glance, like you immediately know that it's not handwritten. But the whole idea is that you think you're receiving a handwritten letter, and that makes you open it, especially if you only give it a first glance. And even if you're like me and you recognize right away what it is, like you recognize it on the second gla glance, you recognize on the second glance. You recognize on the second glance what it is. I still tend to open those. There's still a part of me that has a level of doubt. Like maybe I should actually open this. And speaking of handwriting, something interesting that's happened only recently. This hasn't come up before, but about a month ago, I got something in the mail from the local Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall. And it was a handwritten letter. It was a handwritten note. And obviously they don't know me. I think it was even addressed to my mom. And uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses want my mom's soul. No, but it, it was something like that that was addressed to her. And it was this handwritten note. And it actually was handwritten. And you can imagine all the Jehovah's Witnesses at the Kingdom Hall, like sitting around together, writing these. And it was inviting my mom to attend to join. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting technique to write a handwritten note. And it was even on like notebook paper. It was extra homey. It was extra down home. But then it's interesting because then just the other day I got one from a company, a local company. I think they clean windows, something like that. It's like window replacement or window cleaning. And it was also a handwritten note. And it was truly handwritten. 
You could see the indentations and everything, and it was also on lined paper. So people seem to be taking that approach, where it's like, we'll write random people, handwritten notes, random strangers, and that's a way to either get you to join our religion or get you to use our window replacement service. But it's interesting, though, that to the one that's fake, like the one that uses a font that looks like handwriting, because it, it's just like it mirrors nature. It's like a predator who blends in with uh, the bushes. It's like that bug that looks like a leaf. Except this is spam mail that looks at first glance like it's handwritten because the bug that looks like a leaf. I mean, some of them are pretty convincing, but there's other animals. There's other animals that have camouflage where. You can see why it works, where you're like, I can see why that animal's camouflage works. But again, at second glance, you're like, I can see you. But the whole point is on first glance, you can't. And it's the same thing with the spam that uses a fake handwriting font. It's like on first glance, you can't. And it's capitalizing on the fact that you might not give it a second glance before you open it. And whether or not you end up using their service, you at least opened it, which is half the battle. And with an animal who has camouflage, you know, it's at first glance, if you don't see it, well, that animal is that much more likely to be safe. That animal is that much more likely to not be noticed or if it might even be the predator. It's that much more likely to seize you in its jaws because you didn't see it on first glance. And it's capitalizing on the fact that a certain number of creatures in the jungle will not give that area of the jungle a second glance. It's camouflage. This spam letter you sent me is camouflage. But then actually doing handwritten letters, you almost appreciate the time that it probably took. But on the other hand, it's like, I know what you're doing. Like, do you think that I'm going to be more likely to get to give you business because you hand wrote it i don't know because i know what you're doing I, I know what you're doing it's not even that what you're doing is horrible it's not even that what you're doing is deceptive or manipulative you're just trying to make a living here i am talking to the person but i understand like that you're just trying to make a living when you do that but it's just me as a person getting that i'm just like I see through what you're trying to do, so it doesn't end up having a positive effect. I end up talking about it on here, but I can't even remember what, what the actual business was. Because I'm actually more distracted by the fact that it was handwritten. The fact that it was handwritten actually distracted me from whatever it was. And all I remember is that it was handwritten. But Anyway, with getting spam emails and robocalls, just the amount of interaction that we have to deal with. If you do anything, if you do anything, the amount of time that you probably spend, it's seconds, but those seconds build up, just fending off AI. That's the side of science fiction that nobody ever addressed because it was so boring. It's much more attractive to think of a Terminator exoskeleton with a submachine gun wasting you than it is to think about AI gangbanging you through the phone, through email, through letters in the mail that are made to look like handwriting in this phony, uncanny valley moment 
where you look at it and it almost seems like real writing, but then you find out it's not, and that bothers you more, because it does almost bother me more. It does almost bother me more. I don't want to say it does, but it almost bothers me more when I see that, because I think it's more insulting that you tried to trick me. It's not endearing to me that you used a fake handwriting font. And a lot of those, too, are like, we want to buy your house. We want to blah, blah, blah. They're, they're usually pretty scammy sounding. We're offering you a home warranty. I do have a vape right now. At this moment, I didn't purchase it, but it was, it was left here, so I'm using it. I do find that there is something, I enjoy doing this with a vape. I do enjoy doing this with a little nicotine. I understand why smoke, people like to smoke while they write. I understand why people like to smoke while they talk. Well, you know, I'm not going to be a, a smoker. I do understand that it does kind of do something for you while you're just riffing on ideas. But yeah, that is the, the future that we live in now is one where you just get gangbanged by AI on every different device, every different account you use. And if you have a, a public account of any kind, like uploading, like, like I, I think of my social media accounts, most of them are private. Yeah, I think they're mostly private. So robots can't get in. But anything public you do, like there was a brief time where I, you know, my Instagram account, uh, not my, my like personal Instagram account was open to the public. And I guess I tried to use hashtags, you know, like, like half ironically. I mean, that's a trend that I think died out. Not just a trend, but a function. It's not just like a trend. It was something that had a function, but you don't see it as much anymore. Because, I mean, it was sort of a joke, like people sort of embraced it as this sort of joke and there was a certain it's interesting to see something like that develop because that's a, another great example of like where i'm conservative where like hashtags i'll never use one of those and then i did try to use them for a little while i think with my art page i tried to use them a little bit and they, they seemed to add no value every once in a while it seemed like it would, it would attract one person who really had no reason to check your stuff out. It was just like they, they followed something on a random whim. But you don't really see those in use. I mean, because they were just a, you know, just some some new way of something that already existed, which is categories. It's just that you could basically make your own category in a given moment. I mean, it makes sense like how and why they worked and why they appealed to people. But I found that when my account was public and I used those, that it would obviously attract robots. And uh, it, it was always, like I said, it's just a, a, on a quality life level, when you see that a robot said something to you, and it's almost always off base, like it's almost always not quite right, as you would expect, because the robots haven't gotten that developed yet. But it's like they always get it slightly wrong. It's like responding on SoundCloud to my files by saying, man, this is a rockin' tune, contact me, I got links to record labels, and for, I'll, I'll totally play your stuff on my ch channel, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's like responding to my podcast by saying, like, this is a rockin' tune. It always seems to get it slightly wrong. 
which makes it that more which makes it kind of lower your your esteem that much more but it's just you know it's it's one of those things that's come out of all this and it, and it does play into the ai of your deceased loved ones because you can see where this all just goes awry you can see where creating ghosts goes awry because that's what we've done with these bots and we shouldn't call them bots we should call them ghosts i got a ghost call Every single ghost call I get on the landline leaves a one to two second message of hissing silence, which kind of, isn't that how ghosts talk? Don't ghosts just sound like hissing silence anyway? So maybe those messages that are get left on my old answering machine, maybe those are ghosts just saying, <sighs> maybe that is the ghost just saying hi. Ghost calls, but ghost emails i got an email from a ghost today it's funny though how our idea of ghosts is dependent on someone already having lived it's like oh it can only be a ghost if it was a real person who lived and we should feel as haunted by ai we should feel as haunted by spam as we would a real ghost and I may have told this before, you know, I shouldn't even say that. Who cares if I repeat myself, but I'm just, I'm very self-conscious of that. But I had an ex-girlfriend who was staying in a house. It was her, I believe her godmother's house. Uh, she was house-sitting, as they call it, house-sitting. She was just sitting on top of the house for a few days. Stupid joke. Uh, but she was house-sitting, and there was no backstory. Like she just said, you know, oh, hey, I'm house sitting for my godmother. Like if you want to come hang out, stay the night this on this night, like I'm, I'm, I'll be there for two days or whatever. So I went there and I hung out and she was showing me the house because it was a very cool house, very well decorated, very unique. And she took me down to the basement where the guy who lived there, the husband of her godmother, I guess. I don't know if he's her godfather. I only know the godmother, but uh, her husband would, he, had a, he had a bullet filling station. So he had this like station in his basement where he would fill his own bullets. He had gunpowder and all these empty shells, different cleaning solutions, and he would uh, fill his own bullets. I guess he was a hunter. And while we were down there, I heard footsteps upstairs. It sounded like creaky. I couldn't think of anything else that could be making that sound. And she said, yeah, the, I just hear that sometimes. And I said, there's a ghost. There's a ghost. And I couldn't really shake that feeling. Like we were watching some reality show upstairs at night because you do that when you house sit. When you house sit and somebody has TV, you watch really bad TV. We were watching some show, though. I don't even know what it was. I don't know if it was Real Housewives. I, don't, I have no idea what it was. Some reality show. But I couldn't really shake the feeling, like not of being watched, but just something. I wouldn't even be able to explain it. I just felt odd. And maybe something had been planted in my head when I heard these creaky steps. But I, the whole night I just felt a little weird. And then we slept in the, the bedroom. And the bedroom was strange because it was down at the end of this very long hallway. And the layout of the house was, as I said, it was a unique house. So it was like this long hallway. And it didn't seem like there were any windows up where the bedroom was. 
And so there was this long walk from the bathroom over to the bedroom. And those were the only rooms upstairs. And I, I remember going to bed and like joking about the ghost and like the hallway felt extremely haunted. And she just, you know, she was just like, oh, there's no ghost, whatever. She might have joked. She, knowing her, she probably like played around with it because I was on it. She probably played around with the idea for my sake. But I left the next day. And I was really preoccupied while I was there with the idea that this place was haunted. And it, like I said, it was a half joke, but it was also just something. I just I felt something weird about it. And not bad. It was not bad. It wasn't like a scared feeling. I almost wish I could recreate it, to be honest. It was an interesting feeling. And the next day I left, and then this other lady came over who is a close friend of the godmother who was there to do some kind of work on the house. And my girlfriend texted me, and she said... Oh, yeah, like Linda came by, you know, to, to work on the house. You know, she's a close friend. And the first thing she asked me is like, have you encountered the spirit yet? <laughs> and I was like, I, I told you. I was like, I told you. Like, like, and then the woman was like, yeah, there's a, there's a spirit here. You know, you, you can sense her sometimes. She re referred to spirit in the feminine, which I would, I have to say, that's probably where I would lean to. I don't know. I don't want to be a revisionist and say that, oh, I knew all along that it was a female spirit. I can detect female spirits everywhere. You know, I don't want to pretend that I knew it was a female spirit. But after hearing that, I was like, that sounds about right. But still, like the fact that this, the first thing this woman says to, you know, my ex-girlfriend is, is just, have you encountered the spirit yet? <laughs> And the fact that I couldn't stop talking about it and nobody had planted it in my head. Like there's nobody, like I, I didn't know anybody connected to these people. The only connection I had was my ex-girlfriend and she didn't say a single word about this thing until I brought it up, until I brought up the sounds I was hearing and just this sense that I had. And this woman confirmed my intuition. This woman who was closely involved with that household, who knew the scoop, the spirit scoop, confirm my intuition that there was a spirit there. Just a little ghost story for you. I probably told it before, but just a little ghost story. A Sunday night, Memorial Night Eve ghost story. Those are the best, in case you didn't know. In case you didn't know, those are the best. But, uh, you know, that spirit could very well inhabit AI next, next you know. the next. That's the next step. I mean, spirits must love new technology because they're like, thank goodness, I can I can interact with something else. I can find another way to make you aware of me. And beyond that, just the unseen nature of our universe. <laughs> God. Let's just call it the something because I don't want to get hung up on ghosts here because I'm not even I'm not even invested in ghosts. I'm not even invested in ghosts. How do you even invest in a ghost anyway? No, I'm not invested in ghosts. I just use that as because it's, a, it's an easy way of understanding and explaining some of this. But there's something. And I bet that something loves when us little humans develop new ways to communicate, to interact, to make its presence known, to remind us that it... it inhabits and can inhabit anything and everything, even AI, even the radio, 
maybe even you, especially you. Because where do you think your spirit is right now? Where do you think your spirit is if it's not inside of you? And if your spirit is inside of you, seems like it truly can inhabit anything and everything. Seems like it could even inhabit AI. But we still tend to think of that spirit as something that is connected to a person who previously lived. And so maybe it isn't fair to call, you know, tel robo-telemarketers ghosts. Maybe it isn't fair to call spam emails spirit emails. Maybe it isn't fair to call robot social media or accounts ghosts. You know, maybe that's not fair to real ghosts and spirits. I don't know, but I'm guessing they don't really care. Because I can tell you, I've got a spirit in me. And when I get really down to the basics, I don't really care about much. And I don't mean that in a negative way, because people often use that in this sort of aggressive. They use not caring as this weapon. Yeah, well, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. You know, people use it in that way. They use not caring as a weapon when not caring is often a gift. Not caring is often a gift to yourself. Not caring is often a gift to other people. Because usually we bother other people through caring. And it's good that we care. But we do tend to use it as this sort of weapon. So... Maybe you should turn it around and think of not caring as a gift. Because at the end of the day, when I think about the fact that I myself might as well be technology too. Maybe separating the world into technology and non-technology doesn't work. Because maybe everything in nature is technological too. Maybe that's a ridiculous thing to say. But if technology is nature, as I believe it to be, it came from nature, therefore it is nature, doesn't that mean that nature is technological too? Doesn't that mean that nature is technology if technology is nature? Does it work that way? Does it go both ways? I'm starting to think it does. So why divide the world into two categories? I mean, we love to divide it into natural and unnatural as if we have any understanding of what that means, as if we have any understanding at all of what that line in the sand is between natural and unnatural. Yeah, you can say that dangerous chemicals are unnatural, but then you can turn around and fall into a pit of hot lava. You can get poisoned by a plant. It's not that different from a dangerous chemical, right? So who is to say what the line is, even then, between the natural and unnatural? But you have to believe. You have to have faith. You have to have an open mind. And I can't imagine how someone who doesn't see the world this way sees 
technology today. It's very difficult for me to understand how someone who doesn't care about that something, and I think it's fine that they don't. I think we might even need people who don't, who don't think about that. Maybe it's not even that they don't care about it. Maybe it's just that they don't think about it. But maybe we need people who don't think about it. Maybe we need people who don't sense the ghost in your ex-girlfriend's godmother's house. You know, it might take all types. We might need people who aren't preoccupied by these things, who don't notice these things. And who knows what I'm even noticing when I notice these things, but I do notice them. Something inside of me notices them. But yeah, I do feel that the human body is a form of technology. I do feel that a tree is technology. I think it's nature's way of creating its own technology. And then the creatures that exist in nature take it a step further. And in our case, we take it a whole lot further because as I said earlier, we can't keep a lid on anything, which is a whole other issue. We cannot keep a lid on anything. But that kind of seems to be the process that we are the technology of nature while being nature ourselves. All the, all the last 10 minutes probably sound like a bad poem. Probably sound like bad poetry. But I ain't, I ain't got any other kind of poetry in me. I just have this deep need to be a... I, 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 see, I need to be a poet. It's not a choice for me. It's not a choice for me. I, I need to be a poet. So even if I'm a, even if I'm a bad poet, I got to do it. No, but uh, hopefully this all, you know, hopefully a picture is becoming clear. I don't know that I will ever, I don't know that I'll ever have like a hard line about this stuff. I don't know that I'll ever get to that place where I'm kind of trying to go with this as far as the, you know, I, I, just, I don't know that I'll ever get to a point when it comes to this discussion of technology, of nature. I don't know that I'll ever go get to a point where I just say, that's it. I get it. I figured it out. Because I feel like I've already experienced a little bit of that. I feel like I enter phases where I do feel that way. But it's not coming from a place of knowledge. It's not coming from a place of logic. It's coming from a place of not caring. Because I do feel like I've figured something out in the moments when I don't care, but in a strangely positive way. And that's when I feel like this spirit, whatever it is that inhabits me, just like spirits can inhabit technology, they inhabit me because I am technology too. I feel that my spirit is maybe getting what it wants most when I don't care and I accept that this whole process is that that's it that I'm looking for. Just being a part of this whole process, what else could you possibly say that's it about what else could be your eureka moment? 
other than simply being alive and participating in the process. That to me seems like Eureka. That to me seems like that's it. But that's also the hardest thing to realize. And even when you realize it, you're lucky if you even get glimpses of it. If you can sustain that feeling, well, you might be lucky, you might just be good at what you do. I don't know. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.